transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the desert. Our beloved desert and our continuing year of calamity. weather's good, when the skies are blue, whether clear or busy with storm clouds, when the landscape opens up, well then I tend to do my dreaming outside, you know what I mean? Away from the chatter and the ugly things built by real estate developers. I guess then I can think straight. Because, like those beach chair cushions at the Ace Hotel down in Palm Springs say, no bad vibes. But when it's ugly out, when our lungs hurt from the smoke, when our eyes burn, when the mountain rising up just a mile ahead looks like it's at the bottom of a jar of Vaseline, well then the landscape cannot do its work. The birds are quiet and the human mind becomes numb. But we have another reality that we carry with us from day to day, night to night. We don't always use it in our waking life, but it's there, and it's ready when we need it. Ready to inspire, and ready to clean out the cobwebs. I woke from a beautiful dream the other day, the other morning, Wednesday, in fact, Woden's Day. It was one of those easy-paced dreams where nothing bizarre happens, nothing within to suggest it's a dream while you're living it. And only in the daylight retrospection do you recall the dreamscapes. Recall how and where it differs from the waking life. But while you are there, it's as real as anything. And so for what seemed like hours on a pleasant evening in San Francisco, I wandered around a few neighborhoods that I've long loved. Although they were, in retrospect, 
arranged in a way so that one entered on a pedestrian street down a narrow walkway from the busier city beyond and into a lively neighborhood scene of bars and restaurants and street vendors that gracefully transitioned to the next neighborhood. The Mission to the Castro, Market to Cow Hollow, etc. But it was mostly the Mission District. The buildings were old, mostly of brick. The lighting was soft or spilling out from the open taverns. I had not been there for a while, it seemed. Over the course of this evening, I ran into many friends, a feast of friends, you could say. Some, like my longtime comrade Ben Sullivan, I've known for many decades. Lately, I've been exchanging some letters with Ben after a long lull, so he was on my mind, I guess. And others, like the writer Anna Merlin, a regular guest on this program, and someone I mostly know in person from randomly seeing at parties. I'd heard that her dear uncle had passed on, so she was on my mind that night. I mean, who knows why people show up when they do in your dreams. Sometimes they're just out wandering at the same time you are. Sometimes there's a message, a puzzle you can't entirely know. Not right away, at least. Everybody was out and about on this fine evening. There was no pandemic in this realm. Although it took place in the now. There were no masks, there were no closed-down nightclubs, no righteous marching down the streets, and no cops, not a one. Seeing a cop would have soured the mood, changed the tone, but the mood was good, seemingly for everyone around. There were no automobiles, none that I noticed anyway. The streets were for people. Something I bet a lot of us are remembering from dreams these days is proximity to other human beings. Physical closeness with people, being amongst the crowd, packing too many people into a booth in the back of the bar. Far enough away from the jukebox so you can talk, but close enough that you've got to talk a little louder. The way you drift into a party and you hug everybody you know and some you've just met. Arms draped around your old friends, passing around the pipe or tasting each other's dinners. It's a San Francisco I visit sometimes in dreams, although I don't recall a night so relaxed and sociable in that other city, the one I felt so comfortable wandering around the other night. 
for several hours that comprised maybe 60 minutes of sleep between when I woke up to close the blinds at dawn and when my alarm went off an hour later. Betwixt and between. One of my favorite parts of this city, this walkable and friendly city where nobody is homeless, nobody is suffering is the streetcar system, which has only a passing resemblance to the real streetcars and cable cars. For one thing, a number of old streetcars are used as open-air shops parked on bits of sidetrack along the sidewalks. My favorite is a long newsstand, completely within an old New Orleans-style streetcar, but with standing platforms like the California cable cars, most of it open to the great inventory of newspapers, magazines, paperback books, cigarettes and candy, etc. I have spent hours browsing these inventories and this other reality. The city itself is beautifully green. Trees and flowers and shrubbery everywhere. The sky blue. The fog picturesque when it appears. I've wondered why this is the city in my dreams. Of course, it incorporates architecture and other various features from other towns I've called home. But the city is never New Orleans, or Washington, D.C., or Prague, or Budapest, or Paris, or Brooklyn, or Los Angeles, or any of the couple dozen places I've called home for a few weeks or a few years. Maybe it's because I've never owned an automobile or even had access to one during various stints in the city name for St. Francis. The saint of nature and humanity. And I rarely had money for a taxi cab or change for the bus, and so I walked miles and miles, would gladly walk several miles to meet somebody for a drink, then miles back to a party, and miles to a club, and miles home again most of the time. One boozy night with a couple of guys I lived with and a big old Victorian in the Lower Haight, I walked from North Beach to Pacific Heights, Japantown to the Fillmore, for no reason at all, just walking and talking, stopping in for a drink here and there, a beautiful night out, a weekday evening in the wintertime. I remember the great swarms of wharf rats. Uh, separated and scattered as we walked along the darkened docks, like swallows tumbling through the sky in springtime. <laughs> A better world is possible. My friend Patrick Donnelly closed an email reply to me with those words the other day. And a few days later, some gangsters destroyed nearly half of the remaining rare desert buckwheat species he's been working to protect from extinction. Like I've told Patrick before, that better world needs boots on the ground, as they say. What else are you going to do with your life now?
isn't it time to make a stand? And wouldn't life be sweet again if you were doing this sacred work with a handful of people committed to the same moral path? Whether for a year or for a lifetime. The world can feel a little heavy these days, a little heavier than usual, and for those of us paying attention, it has been heavy for a while now. We're no fools. We aren't hoodwinked by this back-to-normal nonsense. We know the score. We're no simps. But it's real heavy right now. It's a weighted blanket, and it's not comforting. Although it can be inspiring when we know what to look for. When we know that your nutty neighbor or your nutty brother-in-law's nervous breakdown over some routine atrocity in today's news feed may be the same thing that we see as an opening. The stone that marks a new time. An opportunity to take what was never going to be given easily. As a changing of the guard. Gentlemen, he said. I don't need your organization. I've shined your shoes. I've moved your mountains and marked your cards. But Eden is burning. Either getting ready for elimination or else your hearts must have the courage for the changing of the guards. Anyway, sometimes you feel the flow. Sometimes it's all rolling like chariots to war. You've got one book going and somehow it's all about the thing you need to do. And you pick up another book after dinner and it's a completely different subject from a different era even. And it's like the marathon runner past the baton. It just picks right up where the other one left off. Where you left off reading. This can carry through for days and nights. A random radio station from halfway across the country or the globe. And just when you tune in, that's right, they're in on it too. Eventually, you have to put all that stuff down and do whatever it is. Do what it's telling you to do. The wheel goes round, and that's how these cycles reach completion. But it sure is fun. Beats picking cotton. Your mind is operating on a very high level in these situations, and you really cannot let anything get in the way. 
Sure, take a break and take a walk, goof off a little, but then get back on the wheel while you can. You can always clean the garage next week. I mean, who cares? There's no question that there are strange things in the sky, but where they come from and what they're doing here is wide open. We know very little about them after 35 or 40 years of investigation. Our main problem, as I've stated in a number of books and articles, is that the will to believe is much stronger than the will to understand. People are very quick to accept a belief without any evidence, sometimes with no evidence at all. A lot of our major religions are based on that strange ability of the human mind to accept such beliefs. Now, with flying saucers, we have a similar situation. We have been accepting, at face value, a lot of the things that have been said. I'd say 98% of the literature on flying saucers is absolute garbage. I know this because I've had to read all of it over the years. When you try to track down some of these things, especially things that happened some years ago, you either end up at a blank wall, or you find that it was much different from what was reported in the flying saucer magazines of that time. The words you heard there are by the late, great John A. Keel. John Keel. Whenever I meet somebody who is interested in weird stuff, lights in the sky, the fair folk, will-o'-the-wisp, whatever, I give him a copy of John Keel's book called Operation Trojan Horse. I've given out a bunch of these over the years, every time thinking, well... If they click with this stuff, we're gonna get thick as thieves. We'll have a mutual frame of reference. It's the kind of book that I believe is fairly crucial for looking at a lot of the strange situations that come up in the odd time that we are in and how that fits into the great tapestry of time. I've mentioned John Keel more than a few times on this program, generally in passing, but occasionally in some kind of detail. And I thought I had the main gist of it all. But recently I decided to listen to his classic books, Operation Trojan Horse and especially The Eighth Tower, which is a revelation, there's no better term for it. And to think that book, which presents a rational, mystical, moral, and honestly transcendent way to approach all of the synchronicities and oddities of our lives, of our culture, was made up of outtakes from the Mothman prophecies. I mean, what? But that's how it goes sometimes. The most interesting parts of the Bible went missing for about 17 centuries, and then all these missing texts showed up. At Nag Hammadi, Egypt, and in a complex of caves over the Dead Sea. At the same time, 1945 and in 1947, 
more than 500 miles apart. Both random discoveries found not by archaeologists, but accidentally by peasants in Egypt and the Bedouin in the West Bank, in the chalky hills over the Dead Sea. There's some synchronicity. The directors of the Carl Jung Institute must have thought so too. They acquired a single codex, in fact the first one on the European antiquities market. It was a birthday present to Carl Gustav Jung in 1951. And ever since, it has been known as the Jung Codex. It includes five important Gnostic works, including a prayer of the Apostle Paul. Your light, give me your mercy. My Redeemer, redeem me, for I am yours, the one who has come forth from you. You are my mind, bring me forth. You are my treasure house, open for me. You are my fullness, take me to you. You are my repose. Give me the perfect thing that cannot be grasped. Grant what no angel eye has seen and no archon ear has heard. And what has not entered into the human heart, which came to be angelic and modeled after the image of the psychic God when it was formed in the beginning. Since I have faith and hope. And place upon me your beloved, elect and blessed greatness, the firstborn the first begotten and the wonderful mystery of your house. The Prayer of the Apostle Paul. If you've got a copy of the third issue of Desert Oracle, well, you know the text on the back cover is a quote from John A. Keel. Christianity was not born with Christ, but with his death, and with the fanaticism of men like Saul Paul, who were reprogrammed by blinding lights on the desert. John Keel, the eighth Tower, 1975.
Well, listen, next week on this program, we are going to have a treat because the audiobook of The Eighth Tower, which you can get from your library or from the audiobook company, really did illuminate that text for me. John Keel must have read it aloud to his friends over drinks in some midtown saloon in 1970s New York City with his wry asides and his dry wit and his keen sense of storytelling and detail. Well, that audiobook is performed, narrated, I guess they call it, by an actor named Michael Hacker. Michael Hacker, who has narrated something like a half dozen John Keel books. And I've just been going through them all. And the one I'm on right now had me stopping on the trail, nodding my head, saying, Yeah, that's it, that's right. So loud that the dog stopped and looked back at me. On the next program, we're going to have Michael Hacker, who seems to be channeling John Keel directly. So I'm very curious what effect this has had on Mr. Hacker. Because this sort of stuff sort of rearranges your brain. Even if you're reading it for a job, a performance, it has to. Listen, uh, Lucy over in accounting is telling me that I need to mention our Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash desert oracle. Because that's how... We do this show with your support, so thanks to all of you who do it. We sure appreciate it. You can also subscribe to our periodical, Desert Oracle, the pocket-sized guide to the strange and unusual American desert. If you are a subscriber, friends, start watching that mailbox. Who knows how long mail takes to get around the United States, especially the always slow, rural, southwestern United States mail system. But it's at the printer, and it's going out. As for this program, you can listen to us on KCDZ 107.7 FM in the high desert, 
Friday nights, 10 to 11 p.m. And we always have plenty of strange soundscapes by our own Red, Blue, Black, Silver. Look him up on Bandcamp. Thank you for listening. And good night from the Voice of the Desert. <laughs>